0: Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car for real, and you just lost my turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. One mineral you should really be thinking about, it is magnesium. It's the body's master mineral. Involved in over 300 critical reactions, and even digestion is involved. But there are two big problems here. Magnesium has been largely missing from U.S. soil since the 50s. That explains why a lot of people are deficient. And two, most supplements contain only one or two forms of magnesium, When in fact, there are at least seven that your body can use and benefit from. If you take this into consideration, it is not logical to conclude that 99% of the population may be deficient in two or more of the essential forms. Good news is that when you do get all seven forms of magnesium, pretty much everything gets immediately updated. It improves things fast. That's why we are delighted to have our friends from BiOptimizers, the makers of industry-leading digestive supplements. Their research team has formulated the ultimate magnesium supplement, the best out there with all seven forms of the mineral. They even include trace amounts of monoatomic magnesium, which helps make all the other forms more bioavailable. By far the most complete magnesium product ever created, and until or unless someone else comes out with a better one, this is the one you need. Bioptimizers called the product Magnesium Breakthrough, and they're running a special promotion at magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. That's M A G B R E A K T H R O U G H dot com forward slash D R E W. You can get an additional 10% off from the normal package with the coupon code DrDrew10. And then with this one simple action, you can reverse magnesium deficiency in all its forms. Magnesium Breakthrough promotion is only while quantities last at magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. Again, M A G B R E A K T H R O U G H dot com forward slash D R E W. Make sure to use that coupon code Dr. Drew 10 to get 10% off your order. The Dish with Trish is hosted by Trisha Paytas, the new podcast here at Podcast One, and she has some amazing guests, both Shane Dawson and Jeffrey Starr have stopped by to talk to Trisha about everything from relationships to gossip to feuds, nothing off the table when you dish with Trish. If you haven't had a chance to listen, you've got to catch up on the podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Podcast One, Apple Podcast, and many other podcast apps so you get new podcasts every week. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate you being here and supporting the people that support us. I want to get right to our guest, Heather McDonald. No, not the comedian. This is a former, well, somebody called by Jeff Sessions, the greatest thinker on criminal justice in America today. She is the Thomas W. smith felt Manhattan Institute and contributing editor to the City Journal at the Manhattan Institute, and of course, also a New York Times best-selling author. Heather, welcome to the program.
1: Well, it's great to have an extended period to talk with you, Doctor Drew, better than your radio show. I,
0: I know you as well, and then and, uh, I I was listening to you. I think with Jordan Peterson on on Think Spot is that where I last heard you? Yes. And, and I thought, oh, I got to got to talk to Heather. I got to talk to her long form. I got to get into this and uh, just just hear what she's thinking about these days. So that that is my intent. I I want to know what's on your mind. I want to pick your brain. I, I want to know what's bothering you. Uh, And I saw you take an aim at uh, post-structuralist and higher education. I thought, I wonder if that's where we should start, or is something else occupying you these days?
1: Well, I hate to be apocalyptic or sound like a Cassandra, but yes, I'm very much occupied with the speed with which the academic identity politics is now completely transforming the world at large. Every single day brings news of five other institutions who have capitulated uh, before this outrageous idea that uh, they should be choosing their participants on the trivial grounds of sex and race. Uh, They are capitulating to the idea that America is fundamentally, endemically defined by white supremacist uh, ideology, which is simply not true. Uh, we are, at this point, probably the most tolerant, open-minded society in human history. Uh, but I'm I'm very concerned about the direction of the country, and I think people have to start pushing back against this. Certainly the uh, Democratic primary uh, season, whatever you think of the candidates or the candidate in the White House, uh, it is simply empirically the case that the Democratic candidates have been competing to score the most points on the ruthlessly competitive totem pole of victimhood and to show their wokeness by denouncing whether it's the criminal justice system as being defined by racism or education or bank lending. Uh, and and again, I don't, I don't think that's a valid perspective on America, and I think it is doing harm to our civil society, Drew. And
0: then the pushback is something like Trump, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the pushback, you know, what we hear from very well-meaning conservatives is that wringing their hands about the rise of, in some circles, white identity politics. We can be concerned about that, but it is a perfectly logical move. When you have now universities offering whole courses in whiteness, and believe me, they're not doing that as a compliment. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it to say, Well, you know, Western civilization, in theory, you know, maybe uh, Caucasian, and look what it's given us. No, the, the, the whiteness studies on college campuses are saying that white people are the source without anybody coming close, without any other culture coming remotely close to what white people have done to destroy humanity and destroy the earth. Uh, and, and at the same time, you have colleges promoting identity politics for every alleged victim group defined either as a student of color or the, the metastasizing 100-plus categories of gender orientation. And so, you know, there's going to be some white males who say, okay, well, if you guys have identity politics, we do too, uh, and, and that it, it closes the circle uh, but without any movement towards an understanding of our common humanity and a willingness to be, on the one hand, honest about the flaws of Western civilization. We are at no risk of ignoring them by now. It is the focus of all K-12 through 12 education and college. But to celebrate the sublimity of the Western tradition and the ideas that it gave the world that are the ideas under whose name people fight for justice the world over.
0: And those, what should we call them, those uh, phenomenologies, I guess, are, are not being studied anymore, are they? They're, they're sort of off the educational spectrum.
1: You cannot find a course in American constitutional history across the country. There are They are very few. Yale University just proved that it has completely now destroyed its very reason for being by canceling an introductory survey of Western art uh, that was one of the most uplifting, energizing, intellectually rich courses that Yale had offered in its recent history. I had the privilege of taking it in the 1970s. Yale has canceled it on the usual grounds uh, because the artists foregrounded there are overwhelmingly white and male. It had no reason to do so. This wasn't even a required course. You didn't, If you were an art history major, you did not have to take the introduction to Western European art to graduate. So Yale's canceling this course was completely gratuitous. It did so for one reason, and one reason only, Dr. Drew, hatred hmm. hatred of our inheritance and that has has decimated the study of the humanities of humanistic learning throughout the country the, and the next the next frontier that is already happening and it you know it breaks my heart to have lost the humanities because that's where i was studying but the sciences are now being completely assaulted by identity politics. And every American, whether or not he cares about whether John Milton and Chaucer and and William Wordsworth is still being taught, which they are not, he should care that our science progress, our our progress in physics, in chemistry and engineering, is being now held hostage to the trivialities of race and gender proportionality.
0: Is that in the education or in the sort of faculty side of this?
1: It's, well, in K through 12, uh, students are learning about multicultural math, but in the higher education in colleges, every single college now, when they do a faculty hiring search in engineering, in physics, they are under enormous pressure from their diversity bureaucrats to uh, hire so-called underrepresented minorities, i.e. blacks and Hispanics or females. I have hear numerous times about faculty hiring committees that come up with their final three top contenders. They're told by their dean, tear up the list, start over again. You don't have a female here. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is there are differences in interest, and there are also differences in skills, which explain why there is not 50-50 proportionality, say, for males and females in physics. On average, and I'm talking about averages here, I'm talking about the way the curve is distributed, I'm not talking about anybody's daughter, but on average, males gravitate towards more abstract, ideas centered work, towards systems, system thinking, and females, on average, gravitate towards more human-based work, relational careers that involve direct human contact.
0: And so, and, and the, the ex- those that are that you're you're criticizing would say that that's because of the uh, lifelong indoctrination and the way gender is assigned and indoctrinated. Yet, in the Scandinavian societies, which have the most egalitarian opportunities for the, the sexes and the genders, there is more disparity towards those two different camps that you're describing.
1: Absolutely right. The more freedom females have to choose their careers, the less likely they are to go into STEM, which is so counterintuitive from what we hear from the feminists. But in a place like Iran, where there aren't many options for women, They will sort of choose STEM, but it's not necessarily what is chosen up in in Sweden. Uh, So, again, the idea that, that only sexism explains this is just completely ridiculous. And I've gone about collecting what I call natural experiments to test the sexism hypothesis. There are many institutions that have no gatekeepers. The feminists will tell us, well, there's these traditions that are sexist, or there's gatekeepers that are keeping females out of STEM, that, that somehow these, these physics deans are just so benighted that they can't see the superior value of this female physicist. Uh, and so the gatekeepers are discriminating. Well, there's some very interesting institutions out there that have no gatekeepers, and one of the most illustrative is Wikipedia. Wikipedia is the free online encyclopedia that anybody can contribute to. Uh, There are no gatekeepers. And there's also not a historical Wikipedia tradition that said for centuries, you know, like chess, they can argue, oh, well, for centuries chess was male dominated. And so if there's no female grandmasters, it's because of history's historical sexism. There's no historical sexism in Wikipedia. It's maybe 20 years old at most open field. It's blind. Nobody knows who you are. You're anonymous to contribute. Who are the Wikipedia writers and editors? They're about 90, 95% male. Hmm. Why? Because males are fascinated by data, by facts, by getting things right, by correcting each other. Even the Female-type entries for, say, Manolo Blahnik, you know, uh, uh, mules or stiletto heels are very thin compared to a typically male thing of baseball cards or something. Uh, others, Other open gatekeeper-free institutions, Scrabble Championship. The Scrabble World Championship was played in the last year. I noticed that the winner had won many, many times. I looked at the top 10 uh, finalists. They were all male. You have to go down very, very far to get a female. Uh, and that has been true for the last 20 years. Again, I do. there are no gatekeepers to becoming a Scrabble championship champion. All you need to do is be fanatical about memorizing the darn dictionary. Right. And that is something that sort of Males on the spectrum, perhaps, uh, like to do. This is true for the American History Bowl, uh, for spelling bees, you name it. These are things that test the gatekeeper hypothesis, and they show that males and females, on average, do gravitate towards different uh, interests and occupations. And Silicon Valley now is also under the gun to hire and promote by gender. And by race, uh, and they are going to be slowing down their technological progress to the extent that they continue with this preposterous, what I call the diversity delusion.
0: That, that what I where I feel it most acutely that what's under attack is I'm i trained as a biologist, and I feel as though biology has been like set aside as though something that it doesn't exist, and I find that not just bizarre but confusing. And and I don't know where are the scientists in these academic communities. I mean, how do they even function if biology is just another way of looking at things rather than a way of describing reality?
1: Well, I have to say I have looked up all my life to scientists as people who are guided by reason and have given us this extraordinary empirical method and the idea of randomized controlled experiments, which is just the gold standard of verification. But recently, I've had to knock them down a few steps on the ladder because it is amazing to me how many scientists are complicit in this diversity madness. Uh, And I've noticed, I have to say, over the years that scientists can sometimes seem politically almost childlike in their views. And the younger ones, I think, have somehow, during their college training, been brainwashed into this. And so they are willing to erect these diversity czars that bean count their department and second-guess their hiring searches uh I, I just want to add this too, an, another counterexample to this insane myth of ubiquitous sexism in the STEM fields. There's an Italian astrophysicist named Alessandro Strumia, who gave a paper at CERN a year, maybe two years ago now. CERN is the European. She's the one, European, one that
0: discovered. She discovered something, right?
1: It's the consor- CERN is the Consortium for Advanced Theoretical Physics. Yeah, and. So Strumia did a study and he found that far from being discriminated against, uh, females are hired in physics, in advanced theoretical physics. Females are hired and promoted with much thinner research records, much earlier in their careers compared to males. Why? Because all, all Western physics departments are obsessed with this gender equality nonsense. And, and Strumia was fired. He was fired for presenting the data because nobody wanted to hear it. We saw this with, you know, Larry Summers getting losing his job as president of Harvard University for suggesting that there are also, and this is also true, uh, variants in the distribution of high and low end math skills that at the lowest end of math cluelessness if you want to find the worst dummies who've never figured out two plus two equals four, you're going to be looking at males. But if you want to be at the top range of the most advanced theoretical uh, explorers into the reaches of, of far reaches of human understanding in the United States, males predominate 2, 2.5 to 1 to females for the 0.01% of the top math skills. That is also true. And it is also something that will get you fired from your job if you say it. So biologists, scientists, uh, they are sacrificing their commitment to the truth for the sake of this poisonous political ideology.
0: What if we said that it's, it's no longer a merit, you know, merit is important, but this is not a meritocratic system any longer. It's one that's trying to also reset the scales that have been off balance for a while. What's wrong with that?
1: Well, they're, they're balanced right now. Uh, and you do not help anybody by promoting him into a position for which he is not qualified. I mean, that, the argument you make is most frequently used with regards to racial preferences, and I have argued against them on the grounds that they are not helping their alleged beneficiaries. If, if racial preferences worked, if, if by catapulting minority students into, uh, academic environments based with you know, a standard deviation below uh, the academic skills of their peers if they caught up, I wouldn't mind it, but they don't catch up. And with regards to females, uh, it's the same thing. And the idea that we still have any legacy of sexism is ridiculous. If you're a white male today, good luck to you. If you're not trans or gay, good luck to you. If you have a son who is a white male, good luck to him.
0: Well, there is also, no there is no I mean, encouragement. My, no, I know my, I have that I have those and I'm seeing what's happening to them and uh, even worse than the white males the white Asian male. They are highly discriminated.
1: Yes, in colleges I mean, somebody, and, not and white Asian male, in, the
0: Asian young Asian male is is it the I'm what I'm seeing happening happening to extraordinary talent young men. I it's I, it's uh, concerning. Asians. It,
1: they should go back to China. You know, China in the sciences, at least, and I'm I'm not an expert to speak about what sort of patronage there is generally in the society, but in the sciences, they're still ruthlessly meritocratic.
0: Yes, and, I'm saying and, I'm talking about multi generational Americans who happen to be of Asian descent.
1: Right. It, oh no, I, at Harvard, if
0: they're you know, male, it's whoa, whoa.
1: There's not a single selective school that doesn't hold Asians to the highest possible standard. You have to be... Harvard, you know, in the, the recent um, uh, discrimination suit against it, the data shows that a Asian male with a certain academic profile who would have a 25% chance of admission to Harvard, if a black male presented the identical qualifications the black male would have a 95% chance of admission. But,
0: but I don't think they hide that that's how they do it, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a stated philosophical position to try to achieve something.
1: They hide the numbers. You have to drag the numbers, the actual size of racial preferences out of every university. You, you have to take them to court. That's the only way they will ever disclose the extent of the preferences, and they're certainly not going to be transparent as to the outcomes. There was a, a very courageous professor at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, Amy Wax, who talked about the truth, which is that law schools which exercise massive racial admissions preferences uh, and the data nationally shows that black law students uh, end up fifty percent of all black law students end up at basically the bottom decile of their classes right, uh, right, and do, but, and Amy wax said you know that 's been my experience in teaching blind i mean the grading in law school of first year is completely blind, uh, but her her class the curve shows the effect of racial preferences. Her dean has completely slandered her and 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 uh and and said she's wrong. He will not release the data because, in fact, she's right.
0: Well, I, so, I we had a. I went to Amherst College, and we have you know obviously a very aggressive uh, policy in these lines. And there's a young African American man who's been writing about it lately, and I don't want to misrepresent his position, but he was essentially saying that the you know the middle and upper middle class Caucasian kids came with a culture and a training that he did not know how to accommodate. Uh, and is it possible that, that that we're not giving folks that were pulling into these positions what they need to succeed?
1: Well, again, if it worked, I would be in favor of it. I actually don't find the traditional arguments against racial preferences all that compelling. The constitutional jurisprudence is a total nightmare, in, incoherent, uh, uh, factually uh, nonsensical. But... But the data shows again and again, and let's take this out of the race context, which is the most charged and uh, difficult in our, in our culture, and, and put it in a, a sex context. Let's say MIT decides it wants more females in its undergraduate class and admits me, and let's say I have a 650 on my math SAT uh, out of the 800 math SAT score, My peers have been admitted based on their qualifications, not based on the arbitrariness of their gonads. And they are all averaging at MIT about 800 on their math SATs. My first year in freshman calculus, I'm going to be really struggling because the coursework is pitched at my peers, not at me. I'm the outlier. And I'm going to struggle. I'm going to fall behind there's just not a chance I will make it up and I'm likely to switch out of my intended science major and do something else. Uh, had I gone, instead of being catapulted artificially into MIT, had I gone to Boston College or Boston University, which are perfectly respectable schools, the elitism in this whole discourse is just stunning to me that the elite, most elite schools get away with it the idea is, that unless you graduate from Harvard or MIT, your life is over. That's just not the case. Uh, had I gone as a female with 650 SATs on my math, and, and I'd gone to Boston College where everybody else had 650s on their math, and I'm, I'm, I'm making up these numbers, but let's just assume, I would likely stay in my STEM field. That's what happens with minorities that are granted these vast racial preferences at Duke. It turns out that more black males enter Duke as freshmen intending to major in STEM than white males. Set fully 70% of all black males who are admitted to Duke want to major in STEM. That's great. We should say, go for it. What happens? They all drop out.
0: 100%?
1: Not all, but it's by the, by the time... That they they move into other they move into black studies into anthropology, uh, so that by the time of senior year, the STEM graduates are overwhelmingly white and Asian. Had those and the, and the there's a standard deviation in test scores between black students at Duke and white students. That is a huge gap. Had those black students been admitted instead, or gone instead to North Carolina University at Chapel Hill, which again, is a great college, uh, but where they met the qualifications of their peers, they would do fine. So, you know, you're not catching up, you're making people fall further behind.
0: So so you're saying, let's just to be clear, that they would stay in STEM, compete in STEM, as opposed to being pushed out of it because of the uh, rarefied competition.
1: The you know again every there's lots of people who go to North Carolina University at Chapel Hill. It is a good school. They only blacks and Hispanics face the handicap of being catapulted into academic environments for which they're not competitive. Whites are 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 with peers that share their academic. Qualification in incoming levels. It seems it's, like it's the, actually it, cruel. It
0: it, it it feels like there should be some sort of intermediate sort of intervention to see if that helps. You know, bring people up to the the level of their competition. But I we could go around and round about that. Let me let me ask about this. Is, is the is are the post-structuralists to blame here? Is that the is that the core phenomenology that is at at issue?
1: Well. You know, it, I think there's many ironies in our recent intellectual history. I was a post-structuralist as an undergraduate. I I, I wasted far too many hours reading this fraud charlatan Jacques Derrida, uh, who was the father of something called deconstruction in, in Paris, uh, rather than reading Trollope and, uh, you know, Dickens and, and, and Melville and Twain, actual great writers and, and great in, people with insight into the human condition, the essence of the high point of post-structuralism and deconstruction was to deny that the self existed. I I, I, I have shrunk Dr. Drew. They, from they, deny, they even, deny
0: that biology exists. They deny that anything exists, really.
1: Well, they, don't, they think that the self is just a, 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 a function empty, of language. Empty vessel, yeah. The self is just a trope. There is no such thing as the self. It's mm-hmm. language speaks us. Yes what what we're seeing now is the opposite of that we're seeing this obsession with the self but defined on a very shallow level which is genes you know race and gender uh so in one sense it's a, re- a repudiation of post structuralism in that it's all about identity and and narcissism uh and I also am not I don't quite buy one of the typical critiques of this, which is that it all flows from nihilism and a rejection of the idea of truth. Because when I listen to uh, Elizabeth Warren or or the democratic field or the social justice warriors on college campuses or in law firms or in corporate resources, human resources departments that say, oh, this is such a racist institution. These are people who know the truth. They know the truth about America. Their truth about America is that it is defined by racism and hatred, Uh, and they're not—they're not relativists. So it's—it's a—it's a a, a little more complicated than that, I think.
0: But but the issue of power seems to be the only core. Again, I I don't have a different word than phenomenology, uh, phenomena that people will say exists.
1: Yeah. But they they have power too. I mean they're the ones let's I'm sure you've noted this many a time, the utter irony of this anti movement. Where how they get away with calling themselves anti fascist when they are the ones who are exercising this brute force, uh violence to shut down speech that they don't agree with. So Well, it's a
0: Rousseau. Right? Force people to be free.
1: Well, be true, tolerant. and and uh yeah. And, and there was and no no greater
0: king. no greater scoundrel than than Rousseau.
1: Yeah, they do not believe in voluntary exchange in uh, in tradition in culture, except to see it as something that is oppressive and should be should be thrown off. And I just I want to make one more point as to you know females and males, and you say that it's the Asian males, but let's also just note if anybody's saying, well, you know, we haven't been encouraging females. Females are getting encouraged from the time they are conscious. All of the you-go-girl messages about coding female coders and females in STEM, and there's endless programs in foundations, whether it's Rockefeller or Ford or government spending on trying to get females into STEM. Males are getting no words of encouragement, and I think that part of the Depression epidemic, the suicide epidemic, the opioid epidemic that we're seeing and that you track so closely is in part because there's really nothing to live for anymore. Yeah. Our national myths, our national stories have been repudiated, and if you're a white male today or you know Asian males still have a very strong family so they're not they're they're facing very high barriers, but their their families are still intact. Uh, and, and And they're getting pushed, but your your average kind of working class white male today is is the butt of just constant negative messages and it's it's a very tragic thing and and very unfair both to our civilization uh, that is getting a very, very bad rap uh, and and to the individuals within it.
0: Do you have any proposals for how we heal?
1: Well, healing—that's a different word. Uh, I would say I've—I have reached a conclusion as to how we have to fight this, and it is not a pleasant thing to do. The dominant uh, explanation of our world today is—is is what I call the myth of bias. The diversity delusion, as I define it, is based on three propositions: first, that the most important features of any individual is his race and sex; two the discrimination based on those uh, characteristics of race and sex define America and define the West in general, and three, that any disparity in proportional representation based on race and sex in any institution, whether it's a law firm, a college, uh, a newspaper, uh, Hollywood films, any disparity is by definition The result of discrimination, sexism, and racism. You're not allowed to consider alternative explanations, which is behavior, culture, skills, and preferences. The myth of bias says that bias is the only allowable explanation for economic, socioeconomic disparities in our world today. As long as that remains unchallenged, the left wins and it continues destroying our culture. And what we need, what more people need to do is stand up and say, no, we are not discriminating as a society. I don't know, you know, Dr. Drew, I don't know if this is your experience as well, but I don't know of a single mainstream institution, whether it's a Fortune 500 company, a bank, a law firm, an accounting firm, a newspaper, a magazine, a television station that is not actively, actively at every moment trying to hire and promote as many underrepresented minorities and females as possible. So far from discriminating, the opposite is the case. We have to start saying there are other explanations why there is not proportional representation when it comes to race. The skills gap is huge. The average black 12th grader reads at the level of the average white 8th grader Uh, among 8th grade blacks 40% 40% of 8th grade blacks don't even have the most basic math skills. They're below basic. That's on like a four-point category. They, they, are, they, they, are, they don't even show up. And so to expect that a non-discriminating engineering department is going to have a proportional number of blacks with that degree of academic skills gap is preposterous. But the myth of bias tells us that's the only allowable explanation.
0: Rather than looking at the bias, shouldn't we just be working to solve that problem?
1: We should be working, and the culture needs to work. You know what? We've been working for a long time. Uh, America has spent trillions of dollars trying to close the skills gap. At this point, I'm looking also for black leaders to stand up and say, do not think that academic achievement is acting white. You have got to study. You have got to take your textbooks home. You have got to put, if we all emulated Asians, whites, blacks, Hispanics, if we all emulated Asians with their fanatical attention to academic achievement, to paying attention in class, to not being truant, we'd all be better off. But right now, there is a culture of underachievement that is holding blacks back. And you know what? Uh, There's not a whole lot more that the culture at large can do about it. This has got to come from within.
0: Within meaning?
1: Within the black culture. Ah. The family also yeah. is, you know, 71% of all black kids are are born out of wedlock. The marriage norm has broken down. Uh, that is a civilizational catastrophe. Uh, and and that, you know, the marriage needs to be revalued at the culture at large. I mean, the the feminist line of strong women can do it all especially when it comes to raising children. It's just not true. Of course, there's heroic single mothers out there who are succeeding. But on average, kids need their mothers and fathers. And on average, boys need a marriage culture in order to become civilized. Uh, They need to have responsibility for their children. The chaos that ensues when you have a culture that assumes single parents, that girls are just going to have babies every other which way without planning it's It's a very hard thing to succeed in that culture, so that has to change too
0: let me, uh, let me but uh, we, have,
1: we have we have done education reform for for fifty years uh you know you can't say the culture is not tried the culture at large is not tried again, I think there needs to be reciprocal effort within the the inner city culture
0: I want to probe your legal mind for a second uh I didn't mention that Heather also has a JD from Stanford. There is, there is. You, you had mentioned how constitution isn't taught uh, and constitutional thinking and, and, I, and I think we're all aware that the ideas upon which this country is founded are not being taught anywhere really and that, and that we're the only country that I know of that was founded not on a history, not on a geography, not on an ethnicity but on a series of ideas. Am I accurate in saying that?
1: Yes, yeah. I mean uh, there's been some pushback against that pure idea uh notion recently that no there was in fact a Anglo-American culture a Europe a European culture uh but but certainly ideas and and we founded ourselves you know there's very few countries that have founded themselves over the last couple millennia uh so Certainly ideas have played a very large well, let, role let, in our culture. I, of I would exclusive.
0: say that, that the, Anglo, the Anglo-European component was the uh, nature of our institutions. I will grant you that. But the ideas upon which everything was founded were carefully thought out abstractions based on previous experiences in the West. I'll, I'll grant you that. But the, the institutions were very much British. I, I get that. But but we you know we 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 relied on those institutions and we still do to this day. But it was the ideas that founded us. I think I think that's a reasonable way to say it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ideas backed by tradition, and and there was assumption among the founders that there would be a certain shared cultural tradition homogeneity. So right. but, and
0: and that, that might be the part people can point at and go, all right, th- yeah, I agree. That may not be the, an idea that we continue to share to this day. But the political ideas, I think, and no one's being taught them, it, it's hard then to create a common culture, a common – I mean, what can we rally around if we're not understanding the basic function of our – what we were founded upon, the basic ideas upon which we were founded? And I bring this up to uh, just get your thoughts on the fact that some of the very basic principles seem to be not just under attack, but like not at all, even in their most fundamental way, understood. For instance, uh, the opening sentence, I believe, in our Constitution is uh, that we, the people, are in this document – attempting to form a more perfect union of states. We are the United States. We are not the federal government of of America. And that the way people can attack that that extraordinary balance that the founding fathers established with things like get rid of the electoral college, get, I mean just these absolute the sweeping um, – notions that that allege that everything's anachronistic that we're using but in fact it's it's actually fundamental in the fabric of the basic founding documents that no one seems to see am, am I off base with that
1: no that's true i mean federalism was under it it became under attack predominantly during the civil rights era because the states were the southern states were seen as as uh, intransigent in their refusal to grant uh, basic rights to blacks. And so the federal government came in and overrode states' rights. And ever since then, states' rights has been seen as just a pretext for uh, bigotry, which is just not the case. You know, there's the countervailing idea of the laboratory of democracy, that this allows us to experiment with different policies and and that power is best kept local. Uh, and the federal government is remote and and can't possibly come up with a single solution necessarily that fits the entire country. So, yes, that's definitely one of the many ideas that are uh, being completely discarded now. I mean, I would say what concerns me, uh, above all, is Anglo-American jurisprudence, the presumption of innocence, you know, the, the Me Too movement with its believe survivors mantra. They literally mean that. I mean, they literally mean that somebody who charges uh, abuse or sexual harassment or whatever, is entitled automatically uh, to full-scale credulity and that the accused uh, should not be believed. This is, you know, the the graduates of the most prestigious law schools, Harvard and Yale, marched under the "Believe Survivors banner during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, a very large proportion a disproportionate number of those Harvard and Yale graduates are going to go to the federal bench or local or state benches and and if they continue to believe this feminist uh doctrine of belief survivors, that sort of puts an end to due process and fairness in our in our legal system, and that is extraordinarily scary uh but you know we are I, I wonder. This we are engaged in a totally novel experiment at this point in human history. I have, there is no precedent for a civilization that is so turned on itself that has contempt for its accomplishments. The uh, I, I recently spoke to a reporter at at the Yale Daily News about the Yale president, who I'm not a very big fan of because he keeps. Insisting that Yale is a racist institution, which is complete nonsense, and I said yale 's primary, like any college, its primary responsibility is to pass on our cultural inheritance from one generation to another, our western cultural inheritance and she said, "Well, you know if students heard you say that, they would just they would just say that 's ridiculous because the West is just all it is is colonialism um, this is so ignorant. But that is, in fact, the view. There has never been a civilization that hates itself.
0: I'm, I'm going where... to push, push back. You know, I was listening to a, a speaker, a, a historian from Britain, who actually chronicled a phenomenon called oikophobia. And he was able to show that the more egalitarian and open a society, once it had gotten through its existential threats, it then became oikophobic and turned in on itself. That this is a historical phenomenon, and that it's and that we, having gone through the world wars and whatnot, are now relatively secure. And that's when we these egalitarian uh, egalitarian institutions or societies just absolutely turn on themselves.
1: And where do we see an example of it? Because I would say the only other explanation, a counterpart I know, is the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And the difference there is that it was the lower classes. Turning on the elites, you know, and kicking the professors out, and making, you know, classical pianists go live in a hut someplace. In the, in our instance, it's the elites themselves who are, you know, committed to this religion of of, of anti racism, and are saying that you know America is endemically racist. Uh, so that I think that's different. But I I don't know what is meant by turning in on itself. Uh, uh, I, you know, the, the term I, I literally means could think of Britain. Britain was possibly. one I was thinking of.
0: Yeah, Britain. I was thinking of. it's literally the word means hate hatred of home, mm-hmm. or f- fear of home. But it's interesting. I mean, it's it just you, it, I mean, history is you know, it's not exactly the same, but it makes sense that there might be a pattern behind all this. I I, I keep asking where it goes. You know, how do you get through it? That's much my always my question. But let, I have just a few more minutes with you, and I, I want to bring up another topic real quick if I can, and that is the issue of civil liberties. I, I you know, I, I look at things through the perspective of wellness and healing and you know people thriving. And I, I, the, the civil liberty phenomena has gotten to the point now where it's, it is actively killing people, where you can't help people with brain disorders because they have civil liberties, and they're dying at extraordinary rates. What, what do we do with this from a legal perspective?
1: Well from a legal perspective that's very tough because we do have this idea of of individual rights and there was an organization in the 90s called the American Alliance of Rights and Responsibilities that tried to be the counterpart to the ACLU and say that communities have rights uh and that this this extreme individualism both is destructive of of uh communities and of the individuals themselves, as you know, you've been talking about so powerfully with regards to the homeless street population yep. and not being able to get them treatment, yep. um, but that, that didn't, it, the organization kind of ran out of steam, um, so I don't know, I mean, I mean I've, what, I've When argued- they see
0: people dying, what's the, what, in the name of what? You are killing people at an extraordinary rate, in the name of what?
1: Yeah, well, they would... I mean, my view is is that the advocates need these people on the streets because what they're really interested in is this rhetoric of of American capitalism being evil. And so the homeless, for them, are a useful uh, exhibit in a much larger ideological uh, battle that they're involved in. So I'm not sure that... Uh, you know, I, I don't want to... I, I don't really believe in making up intentions but it it just is one does scratch one's head at this and they would always say well we need more spending we need more spending we have spent a lot what we need is a different set of uh decision making that we are not going to allow this both for the sake of neighborhoods and for the sake of the individuals
0: yeah i just look at the individuals because i've treated that population for decades I know exactly what to do and exactly what they're like when you treat them. I know exactly how pissed they are when they look back at people allowing them to die in squalor. It's unbelievable. It's truly, truly, truly unbelievable. And uh, from people who don't know the difference.
1: They don't know what they're talking
0: about, literally.
1: I know. I know. And, you know, we know that this all began with this libertarian ethic of Thomas Saz that mental illness is a – Construct It's a way of the uh, establishment to oppress uh, dissenters and whatnot. And and, we don't hear that language anymore, but whether that's still involved or not. Well,
0: let me me just say that that and uh, Ken Kesey and all that nonsense, that's all now approaching 100 years old. It's at least 70 years old. And the laws that were in response to the excesses of that period, which I'm not defending— the laws are now anachronistic because we have moved along. We now know how the brain works to a certain extent and we know how to treat it. And all that nonsense is only nonsense. And the laws, unfortunately, 60, 70-year-old laws yep. only reflect those excesses rather than the modern era of ability to treat and help people like this. Yep. It's too much. It's uh, it, yep. Think about it. We're coming in on – one hundred years of anachronistic laws that reflect a time that is long since past. I, I can't stand it. It just absolutely. It may, I wake up every day crazed about it, but that's my thing.
1: I'm I'm sure. I'm sure. And uh, you know, you are rightly focusing on the individual, uh, but I think we can also rightly hope that the community gets involved and uh, stands up for its rights as well. And. It's it's got to happen at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, California isn't there yet. No, but it, it, Other, it, the
0: margins are changing. The margins. There's a slight. You know, the things are turning on the margins. So we'll see. But Heather, I, I got to wrap it up. Of course, I could. I could. You've given, as always, you throw down the gauntlet and challenge and ask, tell us provocative things and leave us thinking. And uh, I once again will walk away thinking after talking to you, as I always do. What's coming up for you?
1: Well, uh, I'm doing a lot of college speaking. I'm at Colgate right now, as a matter of fact, going to speak tomorrow. I've got Washington and Lee. I've done Emory University recently. And in all of these places, I'm, as usual, expecting complete student hysteria. Uh, there's nothing you can say to a student that is more infuriating to him than that he's the most privileged individual in human history by virtue of having unfettered access to knowledge. That will, that will turn them into a snarling, uh, raging mob.
0: Again, I, I would urge you to, I, I would urge you to differentiate knowledge and information because that's my biggest concern: is they have unfettered access to information and woefully little knowledge.
1: Absolutely, knowledge is knowledge, and 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 plunging into the great beauties and depths, as well as the heights and sublimity of of our tradition, we should all be down on our knees in gratitude to. Have these great works available to us,
0: and and I wouldn't I wouldn't understate the uh, shortcomings of the people that brought them to us. Uh, have you read that book, Intellectuals, by Paul Johnson?
1: Yes, but but I don't know who who if you're referring to the academics. But I
0: everybody I, 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 I do like,
1: but we're in no risk. Believe me, there is no risk of education now, uh, papering over flaws of our, uh, of our uh, past yeah. they're, they're just not happening that, that's a complete myth.
0: Yeah yeah, uh, but, but I, I'm fine with that as long as we also uh, elevate I mean Heidegger was a Nazi. he had some yeah. interesting he had some interesting ideas. he just did, and, and we can benefit from them, in spite of the ad hominem difficulties that, that we have with that guy.
1: right Treat, treat somebody's ideas, I mean that's, at this point that's what matters.
0: Heather, thank you so much. Website or anything uh, such as that?
1: Uh, I have a Twitter handle, which I never quite know. But if you if you Google Heather McDonald Twitter, that should get get it to me. And certainly it's certainly the Manhattan Institute. I think it's uh, at
0: hm a, a, at hmd at mi. Does that sound right? I think that's it. Yeah, correct. That's and we right. should clarify that you should spell out that at in the middle there, just because it gets a little weird. Right it. it's the it's the signal sign, insignia at for Twitter hmd word A-T-M-I. There you go. Huh.
1: Okay, I learned something. There you are. Thank you. All
0: right, Heather. Good luck at <laughs> Good luck at Colgate.
1: Thanks, Dr. Drew. All right, I thank you it. so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swing sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to DrDrew.com. All conversations.